minimalists. <laughs> well, hello, y'all. We're talking about healing today, and we want to answer a bunch of your surprise questions. Uh, but first, let's talk more about less. We do this little segment where we pull up an article, and I had the one from Forbes. I just want to read this quick quote. We'll put a link to the whole article in the show notes. Uh, by the way, we're here with Dr. Nicole LaPera, and the quote is, however, through her training, LaPera found fault with the traditional mental health education system, citing the major problem being the disassociation between mind and body. Now, we've talked a bit about mind and, and, and body, but let's talk about this disassociation. Yeah, for a very long time. Um, so I was an expert, if you will, in the mind side of things, going to school to become a clinical psychologist. And it really was treated as a separate entity from the body. Mm. You know, when we think of the body, the medical system, we think of all the doctors we go to, the white coat, and you know, any ailment or symptom with the body, you go to that type of doctor. Right. Any symptom you have, you know, with the mind, common ones, anxieties, depression, all the things, relationship issues, you go to the psychologist, what mm. I was trained to be. Mm. So what I was sharing earlier, was I came to the realization that week after week, you know, these habits and patterns were being repeated by the large majority of my clients, despite, you know, in, insight, awarenesses, even game plans of action. Next mm. time I'm gonna do this thing or to break this habit, I'm gonna start to use this coping tool. You mm. get the picture. Mm -hmm. um, so what I came to realize, like I said, is that a lot of us are, are, are living from that subconscious, but most importantly, we're living in a dysregulated system, honoring that connection between the mind and the body. So trying to just tinker in the mind, talk about our feelings, you know, understand mentally the tools, maybe change our thoughts like the, the gold standard CBT. Um, and this isn't me bad mouthing CBT, thoughts do, as we just talked about for a bit of time, right, affect our bodies. Mm -hmm. However, Foundationally, a lot of us are living in dysregulated bodies from mm. those earliest painful trauma experiences, from all of the ways that we learned how to cope, most of us not having the supportive tools, the supportive environments to learn how to become stressed and return to that baseline. So everything we were just talking about leading up to this, in that subconscious, a lot of us are living in dysregulation. Mm. I call it in trauma brain and trauma body. Mm. And so this old model, when we would go and our two, our, we were really limited. We could talk, right, about our feelings. We could learn some ways to uh, regulate our emotions. But unless we were really understanding the foundational role that our body's physiology, our nervous system in particular is mm. playing, then those tools really were rendered pretty, pretty limit, limited. Mm. Um, so what I believe the old model, um, and some programs are beginning to honor the body, mindfulness is creeping its way in, some practitioners will get introduced to this world of somatic treatment, but in the core curriculum, never once are we talked about as an integrated whole. Never mm. once is the body and our gut and our, you know, all of the ways that our, our bodies produce neurotransmitters. We used to think that was only in our mind. Now we understand that it's our whole system plays a role. Mm. So I, I believe that a lot of therapists like myself were um, limited. We're really not as, as impactful as they could be with their clients and with themselves because we were only really told part of the story in school. Interesting. You want to talk about your, the gut stuff? Oh yeah, no, it's fascinating. I've learned a whole lot about the gut the last mm -hmm. couple of years, just because I've I've had Ryan and I a few years ago. We were in uh, Brazil, and I got really bad food poisoning, and it 
totally shifted my gut microbiome. And, and in doing that, like you learn a lot about like the effect of the gut on mood. And we, as you alluded to, we sort of pretend that our brain and our body are standing in separate corners of the room. Mm. And maybe occasionally they communicate, but not, not really. They're just two separate entities. And you're like, well, no, of course not. Even if you just pan out for a second, you realize like, well, no, the brain is just part of the body. It's mm. a part of the body. Like the gut is, like the heart is, like my foot is. These are all parts of the body. It is all interconnected. And the more we pretend that it's not, the more we're doing ourselves a disservice. Absolutely. Mm. So down from the the most simplistic, the nutrients we're getting in our food, how does it feed that organ, the mm. brain as an organ, yeah. right? To now this new science where we do understand that our gut actually produces the neurotransmitters that I was offering earlier, the serotonin, the dopamine, all of the things that we think are too much or too little in our brains, we now are understanding that not only is our gut responsible for getting nutrients in so that all of our organs function properly, mm -hmm. we now understand that our gut is the house for a lot of those chemicals that are dysregulated, again, mm -hmm. um, causing a lot of the symptomology. Inflammation plays a, a big role. I've lived with a lifetime of inflammation. Mm -hmm. um, that caused a lot of my symptomology, the brain fog, the, the lack of energy, um, that kind of just lack of interest. A lot of times that can be traced back to inflammation. So mm -hmm. a lot of it originates, again, in our in our body even that's, even clinical yeah. depression is quite often linked to inflammation right yeah, yeah that's what i was alluding oh, wow. to so there's yeah. a belief right so that the the essentially the mesh around our, our guts is very similar to our blood brain barrier mm. and so that toxins and things that cause inflammation and damage to our gut walls mm. will do so mm -hmm. and then what will come out of the little holes essentially that are poked in our gut walls are toxins mm. which then when they travel throughout our body our immune system does what it's meant to do, it'll attack yeah. and it'll launch inflammation. Right. And we so, call this an autoimmune response. Absolutely. Yeah. And just like it happens in our guts, we now know that our brain is separated by that very thin lining. Mm -hmm. And so that there's belief um, that there's theories of actually depression in particular. Um, some theories of hallucinations are because of inflammation that's actually affecting the way that our, our brain is working. Wow. Harvard's that's doing some incredible. really fascinating studies mm -hmm. right now. Uh, uh, at Harvard, and they're where they're taking long-term schizophrenics and uh, changing their diet uh, to a mainly ketogenic diet, and finding by radically reducing the inflammation that maybe schizophrenia is a we can't call it an autoimmune disease, but it could potentially be related, right? Autoimmune is just this umbrella anyway. Um, but it, it could be that by reducing the inflammation dramatically, this is the first time, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you know a whole lot more about this than I do, obviously. Um, it, it used to, we used to think like, well, a person who becomes schizophrenic when they're in their teens or 20s, it's almost as though their brain is decaying. Um, and once it decays, it's sort of decayed and it gets worse and worse as someone gets older. My father was, was deeply schizophrenic and so like had elaborate relationships with people who did not exist in the real world. And uh, in, uh, what, what they're finding at Harvard right now is by changing the diet, you're having some people who are effectively cured, not actually cured because if they go back to eating anything that is a you know a carbohydrate basically in, in these rare instances mm. then they they go back into the schizophrenic state and what's fascinating to me is 
we've never even talked about food. I mean, going to the doctor for the last 40 years, rarely do they even mention. I've even gone to GI doctors and they don't even mention yeah. food. I was yeah. going to offer that. I mean, that I, I'm talking obviously coming from a, a clinical psychology program, so it might not be surprising when I hear never once was nutrition, nutrition mentioned. I've, I've known a lot of people in the medical system, doctors now, psychiatrists, right? Never once. So people mm. even in the, the body training, you know, traditional side of things, like you're saying, endocrinologists, any other, they're not even being taught. So when you hear me say mm. things like quote it in this article, there's limitations. This again, isn't me saying don't go to that system. I think that, you know, supportive therapy, traditional medical doctors have a time and a place and are part of many people's healing journeys. Absolutely. Sure. Um, and again, I just think that and, and I don't blame um, people in my field, doctors in particular either, because they are operating on what they were taught, right? And so I think structurally, and that's why I talk in terms of a paradigm shift, right? We're no longer in the old paradigm where genes, you know, resulted in these diagnoses that were unchangeable mm. and there was no, there was no wellness because mm -hmm. there wasn't, that door is closed. You either had the genetic um, component for this, whatever, medical, or psychological disorder, or you didn't, mm. and that was your conversation. Hmm. We now know that we, you know, have a science that speaks differently, that is epigenetically based, that says yes, we are all have the genes, mm -hmm. and then the decisions we're making each and every day allows us to either create our health or not, or our wellness or not. So I say that because a lot of us trained in this old model, our beliefs reflect it, mine as well. Mm. When you asked me my first question, what is holistic psychologist, what is this? Mm -hmm. I left out a whole part of my evolution, which was how difficult and destabilizing it was for me as a human mm. to acknowledge that these belief systems no longer apply, because mm. I was very much internalized in them. I very much thought that was true. I very much thought I was limited. Mm. I had anxiety, I had that chip. There was never gonna be a time in my life where you would never not hear me talking about it. I was just an anxious little girl. Mm. So I was gonna be an anxious adult. I'm here, 38 years old, finally here to tell you, I, I don't, res I, yes, back to that one question. I have moments of anxiety. Mm. I become stressed when stressful things happen. How much I think about the stress really helps me determine how long I feel the stress. I'm not without stress, but I wouldn't resonate with being stuck. It's not your identity it's anymore. It's not my identity mm. anymore. And, and again, I just share that because a lot of us do have that belief system where it is our identity. Sure. And part of the shedding is difficult. Mm. Well, and the shedding, I think that's a beautiful metaphor there because we're talking about healing today. We're not talking about fixing, right? And there's a difference between healing and fixing. One is prescription-based. One is sort of... Um, cure-based in a way. Uh, uh, cure even sounds like a prescription. That's not what I mean by that. So maybe there's there's better language around it. Okay, maybe can you talk about healing versus fixing or what is healing when we're talking about healing in this context? Yeah, I, the, the answer that the, the word, Joshua, that keeps coming to mind is integration. And, you know, while you hear me say words like dysregulated, right, and build a new foundation and you know, kind of go back and you know, understand our wounds and our traumas and heal, yeah. that doesn't mean wash away everything that's happened. So mm. integrate, I think, is a word that I resonate with, uh -huh. um, which means we become everything that we've experienced is part of us, right, as we continue to evolve in this journey. We don't erase it all. However, we can integrate it in a new way and not become stuck or not remain stuck in mm. those 
patterns because yeah. it's the way we've dealt with what happened that becomes the problem. Mm. A lot of times I do get asked, you know, when I talk about trauma and when I talk about healing from it, so a version of this question, you know, I'll, I'll get asked, are you saying I'm responsible for what happened to me? And I want to make mm -hmm. that perfectly clear. Never once are we responsible for what happened to us, especially when we were in the state of dependency of childhood, born right. into these environments that we have no control over. Mm -hmm. However, when we come into adulthood, we can assume the responsibility to integrate what happened and create change for a future that's different, not one in which we just repeat those past patterns. So mm -hmm. that's what healing means to me. Mm -hmm. It's more about integrating. We are forever changed based on everything that happens to us. Yeah. We want that, in my opinion, we value that. Part of the journey here on this earth experience, in my opinion, is to grow and expand, right? So that is part of us, though it, it doesn't become our whole story, mm -hmm. I think is how I want to answer that. Makes me think about what we were talking about in the minimal episode about letting that energy pass through you, or you've talked about holding space. I know for me, um, with anxiety, just recently, um, I've kind of had this like revelation of instead of fighting the anxiety, it's about like, how can I hold space for this anxiety and uh, not let it ruin my whole day? How can I even to a certain uh, extent respect this symptom that that's happening and, and trying to get to the root of why, but you know, I, I, uh, I want to talk a little bit about trauma. Um, I went to this like trauma. It wasn't a seminar. It was like a meeting, but I, we'll call it a seminar. And this gentleman was talking about trauma being, um, kind of like layers of an onion. So when I think about my past traumas, it's these different events that happen on a timeline. But the way he was describing it was like, you know, you start off with trauma and then just more trauma kind of builds on top of it. And what that has helped me do is peel back kind of each layer and understand how the trauma built on the trauma. Instead of looking at it as like, you know, a hundred different events that happen, it's, oh, like this happened and then combined with this, you know, it makes me feel a certain way. And I kind of asked him, I was going through all my traumas with him and I'm like, how would you recommend I heal from this? How would I, you know, how, how can I fix this? And he basically said, you know, when you have like, for example, I always have this feeling of the rug being swept out from underneath of me. So like growing up, there was always something bad happening. I would be in a great mood. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been in an awesome mood. Life is going perfect. And then boom, like there's an event that just punches me in the face, sometimes literally. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it would just like totally threw me off. So I have learned this, this thinking behavior of when things are going good, um, don't get too happy because they're going to start going bad. And so like just using that as an example, the way that I have tried to heal from this, um, which like you said, it never goes away. It's always going to be there. I'm always going to have that feeling of the rug being swept off from underneath of me. Uh, what he recommended was me kind of talking to that eight-year-old self and like really like how do you wish uh, or if you could talk to your eight-year-old self, like how would you talk them through that feeling? Um, I'm just using that as one example of, of healing, but I don't know. Does that resonate with you at all with the onion or kind of talking to your, your past self that's dealing with that trauma? Absolutely. I talk a lot about inner child work and a lot of us, you know, have those active dialogues or journaling practices where we're honoring that oldest part of self. Mm. And I love that onion analogy to think about it because, uh, again, we are adaptive creatures and it is what happens to us in childhood or whatever time it happened to us 
as well as in addition to how we perceive what happens to us and what tools we had to help mm. us regulate. Um, so it's not just the one component, it's all of those pieces interconnected together. And when we didn't have the support to understand what happened to us or to help us cope with what happened to us, we adapt accordingly, mm-hmm. right? And we all have a tool, we all have a thing we do, and that's how the I think the onion begins to get creative, right? Mm-hmm. So you said something else really astute in that, which is we are learning creatures, we're always learning. Mm. And we get very savvy at trying to avoid the same pain. Mm. So we'll walk into things that are very predictable and painful, and this is where our subconscious is very illogical, because I'm sure listeners are hearing me say this and saying, well, this doesn't make sense. This patterning or this this tool that I use, you know, doesn't get me the, the results I want in my life. To our subconscious, and I can't make this more clear, that which is familiar or predictable is the safest route. So I'd rather keep going down that rut, even though I might dare I say the negative consequence is around the corner, It that is more tolerable Mm -hmm. than the uncertainty of the bigger worse thing around the other corner. So the onion, to go back to what you're saying, Ryan, gets kind of created in that way. So now we're coping and adapting and avoiding pain and coping and adapting and avoiding pain. And Mm. oh, mom, you know, isn't able to tolerate my sadness when I bring it to her. So now I'm just not sad, right? And I'm just using examples, but before I know it, I've created Mm -hmm. a self Mm -hmm. in a way, an Mm -hmm. avatar. Mm -hmm. And this is why I talk about trauma in the context of relationships a lot. Because where, but in relationships, as interpersonal creatures, are most of us playing these roles. And mm. when I say relationships, I don't just mean with our romantic partners. Mm-hmm. I mean in our professional worlds, with our friendships, with our family. Anyone with whom we interact. And then mm. that continues to precipitate more and more wounding. So now mm. I'm showing up as, for me, right, the helper, the help everyone else are, right? And the mm-hmm. more I did that, oh. that part of self, the rest of me, right, was going unacknowledged, unacknowledged. Like we talked about, yes, resentment, right? but wounding, right? More mm. on the onion, more on the onion, more on the onion. Me not being expressed, constricted, constricted, constricted. Thirty mm-hmm. some odd years of doing that, we have quite an onion. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. I think about. Um, I'm always like, people call me too nice a lot. Oh, you're too nice, Ryan. And I am. I am too nice. But it's like, I am too nice because I treat people how I wish I was treated growing up. So uh, yeah, it's it's amazing how it, it does start to develop itself. I would love to hear you talk more about the inner child work. Can you expound on that, on that a little bit? So we all have, again, stored in that subconscious, I, I call it our inner child. And really what that is is the house of all of our needs and all of the very conditioned ways we've learned to meet our needs. So expanding on the definition of the holistic human, I believe we have needs in three major areas. Our physical body has needs, mm-hmm. you know, how it can function the best, have the most energy, feel the most rested, very in terms of its nervous system, go from that stressed to that balanced baseline state, right? My right. body's needs. My emotional system has mm-hmm. needs. I have energies like we talked about earlier, right, Ryan? I have hormones, shifts and changes. My emotional system, spiritually, I have needs. Mm-hmm. When we come to this 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 year Earth experience, however it is you believe we get here mm-hmm. as as little infant humans, we are in a complete state of dependency, yes. meaning we cannot meet any of those needs on our own. Quite simply, we would die without a caregiver of sorts. Right. Mm-hmm. We need humans. Yes. We're wired to connect with other humans. This is how we've proliferated as a species, coming together, banding together. Everything from division of labor to stress reduce 
in capabilities to love and bonding. All of this good stuff has allowed us to develop into the societies and cultures we have. Mm-hmm. What that means for us as individual humans is we are reliant on others around us. Mm. And through that state of dependency, these earliest patternings begin to, to take shape. Mm. So first and foremost, how do we learn? We learn, contrary to what most parents like to believe, though I'm not a parent myself, I can't imagine how difficult the task of parenting is, or I can. <laughs> a lot of us like to think, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. However, children, and we actually, the way our brain is structured, we have little neurons that are just so happen to be called mirror neurons, which mean they fire when you see someone else doing something. Mm-hmm. This actually facilitates learning by modeling. Yeah. Meaning when I watch mom, dad, caregiver, whomever meet their own needs, I'm learning, right? Mm-hmm. How, how do they care for their physical bodies? How do they take care of their emotional worlds? What mm-hmm. about spiritually? Are they an express person? Do they just show up and be in the world? And Listeners, you know, however familiar you are with your caregivers, very glaringly, you might be able to identify, well, wait a minute. No, my caregivers actually don't care, take care of their physical body. So chances are what they taught me right, might not be fully in service. Mm, yes. Same thing emotionally. This is how intergenerational patterns are transmitted, right? If you have a parent like myself, I had a mother who was emotionally overwhelmed at all times. Mm. The only thing that she was versed in emotionally was stress, right? So sadness really had no place in my home. Anger really had no place in my home. So I didn't have the tools to help me. So what is inner child work? Identifying the habits and patterns that most of us have internalized in childhood that are now the current ways in adulthood we attempt to meet our needs. And then of course, modifying where possible, modifying, learning how to better show up maybe for my physical body and how Mm. it functions best. Emotionally, I mean, I'm the first one to say, I was trained, I mean, God, I can't even tell you how many years I went to school, eight, nine, 10. I don't know, I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. Mm, I wasn't taught, right? So now part of my reparenting journey is learning how to regulate my own emotional world, learning how to show up just in my spiritual essence as who I am. Mm. Everyone's journeys look different. Again, this is not one of those areas where it's a universal reparenting steps one through five that apply Mm. to everyone. Mm. It's about getting in tune with ourself, with that inner child that lives within each of us Mm -hmm. and learning how to compassionately honor you know, the experiences that it's having in the moment mm. and learn how to best help shape and meet its needs. You know, it's interesting. I really want to have kids uh, because I want to give a child a life that I wish I would have had and not, not you know, uh, showering them with things, obviously, as, you know, one of the minimalists, I would not just shower my kids <laughs> with things. But it's really about, uh, you know, helping a child grow, figure out what they what they really like doing, what they're passionate about, helping them cultivate passion and being there for a child. So um, this experience, it's almost like subconsciously there. this is a substitute for my own childhood. Like this is going to make my childhood better. But what I love about what you're talking about is I can actually raise that inner child of myself. Like intellectually, I understand what you're saying. Um but emotionally, like I hope I can get there because that's um, that would be the best child to raise. Really, is that that inner child that I have uh, living inside me? I can go as far also to extend to say, until you learn how to cultivate a really, until we each learn how to cultivate a relationship with our own inner children, mm-hmm. we're going to struggle to show up for an actual yeah, child. And yeah. I get asked by parents all the time, same version of this question asked earlier: How do I get so and so? How do I parent? Mm. And I give that same answer, right? You work on yourself, you explore your own habits and patterns, you learn how to model 
a new way of showing up and of being in the relationship with your child. Mm -hmm. And that's how you actually reparent or parent your actual child. So it starts within in the same way with you showing up. And for a lot of us, it's uncomfortable. We might feel silly. You might might even hear me talking. What the hell is she talking about? about (laughs) It might feel silly. And there's a little part of, I think, a lot of us that does feel shameful maybe oh mm-hmm. i should know i'm however old mm-hmm. i have people in the in the community in their 60s 70s right mm-hmm. it's never too late to show up differently for ourselves and especially if you have kids or are thinking about having kids that is the avenue into parent then differently them is to parent ourselves differently first yeah what, what questions should one be asked not should is the wrong word here but <laughs> what what questions does one ask to begin to create a, a better relationship there with the inner child. I think pa- it could be as simple as, well, two steps of simplicity. Pausing, mm. which is what a lot of us don't do because mm. our autopilot's gonna fill in what happens next here, right. right? When this thing happens, I do this. When I feel sad, I do this. Mm-hmm. So that pause is a huge first step. That's how we shift from autopilot, talk about all these concepts now, right? Into conscious mind. Right, from maybe wounded seven-year-old who only knew how to do this in this moment that feels very much like that wounded mo- moment my seven years old. Mm-hmm. Right, How do I hold space in my conscious self at that same moment? So do we heal? That part's there. My seven-year-old is saying, oh, kick, scream, say this thing, mm. holding space for both aspects of my consciousness and then making a choice. So that pause allows us to create that space. It doesn't happen overnight. And then in that space, just starting to create a habit of asking, what do I need? What, what's going on deeper? What mm. do I need in this moment? Yeah. And again, the answer is not probably gonna come flying to the top with glitz, glitter all over it, right? Mm. A lot of this about dropping in. If you're someone like myself, don't even feel safe enough in our bodies or is that foundational work? How do I learn how to connect like we talked about earlier through my senses? Mm. How do I create safety being here Right. so that I can hear what's being said when I drop in. So while I simply say, create space, drop in, ask, what do you need? Mm. There's some steps that go um, mm. to create that foundation, but that's the practice, the space, mm-hmm. and then the asking, what do I need? What's going on? What self of me is is alive in this moment and how could I right. help that self feel better? You're, yeah. you're talking about mm. an understanding, not a solution. Mm. Yeah. yeah. We've got some surprise questions here today from our audience. I thought maybe we could start with Denise. What is the potential of PTG, post-traumatic growth? I've been hearing a lot about this recently. I've never heard this. I never heard this. I was interested to see where this acronym was going to go. I think it's really the, the thought of, well, of course we have, we hear about PTSD, mm-hmm. right, or, or other terms uh, by which we say, okay, we were traumatized, and after the trauma, we're having trouble functioning, uh, what we would consider normally. And I say that with vocal quotes here, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and so there maybe is there's there, there's also this this other phenomenon where we have some sort of trauma, but out of that trauma, we not improve but our life changes in another way where it's it's post-traumatic growth you know Mm -hmm. the example that's easy for me is this whole minimalism thing started because my mom died my marriage ended both in the same month two events that could certainly be perceived as traumatic and i could certainly see how on one path i could have gone down it would have been what was me 
I, alcohol and drug addiction, etc. Very easy path uh, to take there. But there was a growth experience from that. It made me start to question what's truly important in my life. Why have I been so discontented? Who is the person I want to become? And, and, and so there was, in a way, a post-traumatic growth. Uh, and so I guess you deal with people sometimes who have had a trauma, but that trauma is something that compels them or propels them down a different path. Mm-hmm. A lot of different you know, effects, and there's no better or worse trajectory. We can start there, right? Back to that assessment, right? Journeys are journeys, trauma, and what happens next is different for each of us. There are a lot of instances. So some things I think that um, help, you know, propel us through trauma. Trauma for a lot of us is that um, it kind of shifts us from an autopilot, especially if it's, for instance, COVID. Mm. A lot of us, you know, are living in a very active trauma now. And when Mm -hmm. COVID first began, going from the nine to five where I took the same, you know, autopilot route to work and my day more or less looked the same, stopping all of that, staying at home, being caught up in houses with whoever was around family-wise. So uh, a kind of pattern interrupt is what I call that. So for some of us, trauma itself can be a pattern interrupt, right? Can change life from top to bottom. So my autopilot no longer applies, put it that way. Yeah. That in and of itself can propel us into change mm-hmm. um, because right automatically my autopilot doesn't work here. So now I need to do something different. Change is hard in and of itself because of the pull of that autopilot toward that familiar, like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So not to say the journey will be easy creating change from that, though trauma for some of us can be that initial pattern interrupt. For others, it can offer, I mean, think about why we change. You know, typically we we create an intention to change at least sure. when things feel intolerable the way they are. So for some of us, that big glaring trauma or the, you know, the overwhelming experience, life changing from top to bottom can be that, can be that like, mm, I can't continue as is. Mm-hmm. I need to start creating steps to making tomorrow different. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a lot of reasons I think why change can come from trauma just as much as stuck can come from trauma. And again, mm-hmm. just to reiterate, um, no one's better or worse depending on which path it took. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved how you kind of offered earlier, it's about awareness, identifying if you are stuck, um, where do the areas you're stuck and can you create change from that? Yeah. yeah, and it's not that the stuckness is good or bad either. Mm-hmm. These aren't value judgments, but we right. quite often thrust upon them uh, uh, value judgments. Uh, yeah. When Ryan was talking earlier, there's you said you always feel like the you feel like the rug's going to be swept out from underneath you, mm-hmm. right? And in, in 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 that, you said something about like all these bad things are happening, or when good things are happening, bad things are bound to happen. Just around the corner, right? <clears throat> and all of those things are are value judgments in a way that I think you probably mean something different. But the language we've associated with those things, mm-hmm. uh, it could be that like well, pain may happen, mm-hmm. and there I, therefore I associate this pain is always a bad thing in in my mind. Although obviously it's not always a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with the so-called good things, right? Uh, we, we've we've thrusted some sort of value judgment upon them. Yeah. A- and I think w- when we talk about trauma, one event can have a radically different effect on two different people, right? Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned COVID as an example, or you know, wh- whatever the example may be. You know, one person could be 
traumatized to a crippling extent, another person may hardly even notice it, right? Mm -hmm. And so they don't experience trauma the same way. Is that accurate? 100%. And I think I laugh all the time to myself and I I smiled when I heard you saying that. Um, In my partnership, for instance, um, I think a lot of us happen upon this. In, In a lot of ways, my current partner, Lolly, she's very different. And we both live very the same experience, if you will, mm-hmm. and receive it very differently. Some things activate me that mm. don't activate her mm. and vice versa. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it, we're all different. We're all viewing it through lenses. We all have different resources. Our bodies are all different in terms of their physiology and how sensitive we are to energies and shifts and changes. So all of that package together. And this is why in families, it can be very confusing because you can have, and maybe some listeners do, have relationships with siblings, maybe who are very close in age, who you hear them talking and as if you came from a different family altogether. I mean, mm. this is very yeah. real. Um, we can be very, very mm. different in how we cope, how we um, you know, kind of uh, view something that happens and how we cope with something that happens. Right. Even though with those closest to us, we can be quite different. Yeah. this makes me think again about compassion. I know with my wife, um, there are things that just, you know, affect her emotionally that I look at and I'm like, why would that affect you emotionally? Like you, you know, I, I look at her childhood and her tight knit family and I'm like, but you had a good. And what I had to quickly learn was, uh, what Milburn was saying, like trauma is different, uh, for each person. So you know, even though uh, my trauma was, you know, getting beat uh, by my stepdad, you know, Mariah's trauma was, you know, her parents forgetting to pick her up at a soccer game. And I wish that I had, you know, her problem, but her problems are still problems. And, uh, you know, kind of going back to that onion analogy, I mean, I have a different onion that's built up, but I can't compare, you know, my onion to her onion, so to speak, to stay with the metaphor. Um, So instead of me thinking, oh, you should or you shouldn't feel that way, why would you feel? It's more about me holding space for her and be like, okay, I understand that this is traumatic to you and this is a big deal. But it it really helps her and I's relationship like just tenfold by showing compassion for her trauma, even though, again, personally, I don't feel like it should be trauma. But to her, it is trauma. And I have to respect that. There is no should. There is no shouldn't here. And I love what you said, too, about... um, the language that I use with, you know, um, this is the language we all use. Yeah, something. Yeah, absolutely. But there is something to, because it helped. It helped. It just helped me dig a little bit deeper with what is that rug, you know, being uh, swept out from underneath of me. What is that feeling? It's, it's not a matter of, well, good is happening and then bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's a. It when I say it helped me dig a little bit deeper. Really, it's about feeling good, feeling positive, feeling in a happy state. And then something happening to interrupt that that state of emotion. And uh, I don't know, there's something there I feel like I could dig, dig a little bit deeper with, but I do love the idea of like not using the term, well, when something good is happening, then something bad is going to happen. There's... Well, and we, to do that, though, we have to avoid the, the good thing, too, right? We mm-hmm. can't just say, like, well, you know, the good things are happening and then other things are happening. Right, that right. becomes a value. Right. But the, the rug, and I lo- the reason I love your rug analogy is the the way that we often use that, and I would certainly use it this way, too, is a sweet, the rug being swept out from under me, 
I, I'm imagining that as a bad thing. Right. But the rug being swept out isn't inherently bad. How many, we've actually had things happen to us where the rug has been swept out from under us, and it's been wonderful that that has happened. Right, yeah. Right, but the, the type of rug sweeping that we associate is like, this must be bad, mm. right? Any, any additional thoughts on that, Nicole? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I love just to piggyback on this language um, and, and this whole conversation here. Paying attention, witness how you're speaking to yourself in your mind. That's how I've created a lot of change because I've caught even just the language my thoughts use yes. right, in certain areas. And so a lot of us probably very readily or if, as we begin to witness our thoughts, can see those shoulds and mm -hmm. how often we're saying that in our mind about ourselves, about the people around us. And a lot of the work can begin by just listening to your own dialogue mm -hmm. and what you're you're internalizing and shifting it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and real freedom in mm -hmm. many ways is freedom from attachment to that. You know, we could say freedom from the mind or freedom from thought even, right? But like the the a lot of the attachments here, the attaching of of bad with particular events or attaching good to particular events yeah. is in and of itself a, a, a value judgment. We have a question from Jenna here. Does one ever really heal from grief? Hmm. Nicole, does one ever heal from grief? My first question, um, again, I want, I'd be interested to hear, you know, what Jenna what her definition of healing is. Mm. This is another area where we're all subjective, you sure. know? So what what does healing mean for, for you? You know, mm -hmm. does it mean not feeling any version of the sadness? And I think it's pretty clear that in terms of, you know, our discussion here, sadness and grief are going to be part of our human emotional experience. Mm -hmm. So whether or not you release it from the thing that you're grieving in this moment, chances are there'll be another grief that mm. comes up. So if the question was, can I abstain from grief for the rest of my life? The answer to that is no. Uh, no, yeah. the answer to that. But um, it sounds to me like what you're saying is we can figure out how to better, lack of a better term, deal with grief. Yeah. Um, it's like a scar sometimes. It's like it's always yeah going to be there. So it's like, how are you going to deal with that scar? This makes me... Well, scar is, is, is by definition healed, right? Well, but there's still remnants of the wound right but it, so, it, but maybe, so, maybe what you're saying then is grief has healed but in, in that case uh, it's healed it, it has healed as best as it could but it'll never go back to the way it was before right yeah. right we won't go back to the womb so to speak yeah. right uh, the life has been lived at this point it makes me think uh we were in tokyo a couple years ago me and mariah we were visiting with some friends and we were on the subway and it had in japanese like this writing with a picture of a man in a trench coat and we were like, what the heck is this? So we pulled up the Google translation app and we like hold it up, which blows my mind, by the way, that you can like hold up. I know. Uh -huh. And then it just in real time, <laughs> yeah. it augment reality, like changes it to English, mm -hmm. blows my mind. Uh, that's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. But essentially the way it translated, which was probably, you know, a bad translation, but it said something about uh, do not expose yourself to women on the train because you will, <laughs> you will leave a scar on their heart. Ooh. And I was like, this is actually really <laughs> deep. Like poetic. for so, yeah. yeah, really poetic. <laughs> and it just makes me it makes me think about this question of grief because yes, we get these scars on our hearts and like maybe they healed. Um, but yeah, we're never gonna go back to the womb. There's still remnants there. It's a matter of um yeah, how do we hold space for those for those scars? Hmm. 
Well, th- I think that links into this next question here from SSC. Is the saying time heals true? Well, I think it depends on what you mean by true. What you mean by healing. Oh, man. Like, um, now that we're having a conversation about language, I mean, I... <laughs> well, I, well I, I love the, yeah. the scar analogy mm-hmm. here, but you know, sometimes healing does leave behind a scar. Mm-hmm. If we assume that's a bad thing, then that's part of the problem. It's going to be a bad thing. Yeah. I think, too, sometimes when I hear this question, at least what my mind very subjectively, you know, he- hears as maybe the possible question, too, um, you know, it's this idea if – I'm sorry, I'm going to repeat that again. No, I, what? like, totally lost my thought. No, <laughs> no you're good. You're good. Um, so, so is oh, time, 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 time. <laughs> my thought went to somewhere else, too. Okay. So this idea of time, action. Right, so if I just wait time to go by mm. and five years, a decade goes, right, mm. am I still caught in the wound? And I think the whole conversation here is chances are you probably are still living from that autopilot. Mm. So time marching in, the way we X our boxes and see it kind of go, right? right that's what I, I think a lot of times when I hear that question, that's what I assume is meant, right? If I just, oh, it's a decade already, it should be over. Mm-hmm. Well, what, 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 what has happened in that decade? Was there the processing, the integrating, the releasing? Mm-hmm. Or are you just saying, it's been a decade, right? right. And I, so again, I don't want to speak um, for this person, but that's where my mind was going to is, you know, is it this idea of just pure objective time? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us know Time mm. doesn't in and of itself heal. It's the things that happen over a period of time. Yes, mm. yes. And, it's what have I used that time? Yeah, right. right. If you've done the right things over a period of time, then yes. maybe you've experienced some healing. Yeah, Right, because the implications of this, because uh, it's a rather nonspecific prescription, which is the worst kind of prescription. Mm-hmm. They're all bad. But like uh, this one is like, give it some time. Well, what does that mean? Three seconds? Right. Three decades? Mm-hmm. Three mm-hmm. lifetimes? Like, mm-hmm. What do you mean, give it some time? Time's yes. just a flat circle anyway, man. <laughs> <laughs> we have a question from Leslie. Leslie writes, after forgiving someone for a wrongdoing, is it okay not to reconcile? Another value judgment here, right? Mm-hmm. Is it okay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. Is there a way to rephrase this question in a way? Like, I've forgiven someone... But I don't want to reconcile. Yes. What is that? Like the the preface of the question is implying like, let's say you wronged me. I forgive you. I don't go and let you know that I've forgiven you. Like what's no, the... No, no. So, so maybe, maybe if I were to, yeah, let's apply the question to me and you. So <clears throat> I wronged you for mm-hmm. s- some reason and you have worked hard to forgive me. And so you could move on, I guess, is, mm-hmm. is the implication of that. It's possible to move on without forgiving probably, but mm-hmm. let's just say that you decided to forgive me so you can move on. You also don't have to reconcile with me. Mm. It could be that I did something ag- so egregious, or it could just be that like you don't, you feel like that's in your past and you, don't, you no longer want to walk on the same path as me. Mm. I think that's, that's, uh, a per- that's perfectly reasonable. Forgiveness does not require continuation yeah. of the relationship. And I think it's a really pivotal word that we can begin to train ourselves mentally to use. Mm-hmm. Right? I forgive you and I still choose to have boundaries that look like yeah. X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. You know, but is a lot of the word that we try to put in. And I think and, you know, having forgiveness doesn't mean that I open myself up for an unsafe situation, relationship, etc. Yeah. So and I forgive and I still need this limit 
to keep myself safe. Yeah. And those boundaries could include having them in your life with a different role from what they had previous to that. Uh, it, it could mean having no role whatsoever. Mm. That and could be a more expansive role in the future as well. You get to define what that boundary is and you get to redefine the boundary as time moves on. Mm. It's not static. No. And that other person is playing a role too based on how they're reacting and responding and navigating it moving forward as well. That's what I say about boundaries. They're, they empower both participants with choice. Because a lot of people, I think, who put the boundary up, you know, that that's an act of empowerment. Here is my limit. They're also, though, by proxy, giving the other person a choice too. Mm. You can choose to respect my limit. You can choose not to. And then I take care of myself in the way that I you know, told you I would. I don't pick up the phone. I'm not available to you in this moment. Mm -hmm. right? I'm giving you, though, a choice as mm -hmm. well. And when we both have choices, they might be uncomfortable choices and new and unfamiliar. And we might have to have feelings come up that are uncomfortable. Right. Though we both have an opportunity to imagine the ground that happens next in the relationship. Yeah. yeah. Let's uh, let's make this Ryan Nicodemus therapy hour. Let's do it. So, uh, all right. So with my stepdad who beat the ever living crap out of me growing up, um, he one time he called me and he apologized and uh, I couldn't take it in because he just, it, it just it, I think he was trying to be sincere, but he just doesn't know how to be sincere. Mm. So uh, long story short, I think I have been able to forgive him because one of the big revelations I had was I see myself in him and the anger that he has and uh, he just couldn't control it. And I also look at his childhood. I mean, just to talk about his child was nothing compared to what my childhood was. I mean, it was uh, it was way worse. So, you know, I, I tried to even show a little, uh, little sympathy, maybe even a little empathy. Um, so let's say I have forgiven him, which I, I think I could say I have. I don't want to give him the satisfaction of forgiving him. And I don't know if I don't think that's the right reason to not let him know. Um, but yeah, I don't Why? know. Well, yeah, wh what do you imagine what it, that would offer? Oh, I just want him to suffer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's what you, it comes down to. Well, yeah, you definitely haven't forgiven him if you want someone to well, suffer. Well, no, that's I, I disagree. I disagree because, okay. well, I mean, I disagree because I can see why what happened happened. And I have forgiven him in the sense of like, okay, you're human and you do that. However, um. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, maybe expound on why it's not forgiving because I could because I could still sure. say that I feel like I have forgiven him. But you're yeah. saying no, I haven't because I still want him to suffer. You said I want him to suffer. Then you said I'm also having empathy for him. Mm -hmm. Having empathy for someone is being in suffering with them, mm -hmm. meaning you yourself want to suffer more as a result by making him suffer. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think? What do you got for me? <laughs> yeah. Anything? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I. You know. I think. I mean, I was going to answer this in a, in a more macro way, which yeah. is just an acknowledgement that I imagine he is doing a good job of suffering himself <laughs> throughout, throughout each day. I mean, not to, to invalidate is. your want as well. I'm just yeah. kind of offering you that, you know, and 
He's a skilled practitioner of mm. suffering. I mean, he's, you know, a wounded human. That's yeah. what I would conceptualize. And so when I speak about parents and lineage and, you know, intergenerational, how these wounds are passed on, mm -hmm. it is to offer, you know, the awareness of mm. parents are only capable of, of doing and of managing and of, of modeling what they themselves know how. That allows some of us to shift into that understanding, though it doesn't require it. Mm -hmm. And again, doesn't mean that we have to forgive or continue to be in relationship with these humans. And yeah. these humans, even if we don't continue in relationship with them, are probably living in their same patterning and probably getting more of the same yeah. that they, you know. No, he yeah, he's definitely, he's been suffering I'm sure the whole entire time I, I, I've known him. And, so and this goes back- Do you back really want him to suffer more then? The, it, no, it's not about him suffering more as much as I don't feel him worthy of not suffering. Yeah, I mean, there's something there that I think we could talk about more. But but this goes back to this question of, uh, uh, oh, shoot, who was it? Leslie, after forgiving someone for a wrongdoing, is it okay to not reconcile? And what mm -hmm. you're saying is, is if you don't reconcile, if I don't reconcile, then I haven't truly forgiven him. I guess, well, no, 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 I, 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 It depends on what we mean by reconcile in this case. Yeah, yeah so let's so, talk about... So you can forgive him with, without ever talking to him again as mm -hmm. well. It's possible if he... Let's say he died today. Right. You could forgive him tomorrow. Sure. Even though you couldn't communicate that to him, right? Okay. And, and, and so there's, there's the ability to forgive, and, it would, and thus it would be impossible for you to reconcile with him right. if he died today mm -hmm. uh, because you, you couldn't you know, patch things up or whatever vernacular we're going to use here. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that it's impossible to forgive. You could forgive without reconciling. The same is true if he continues to live for another hundred years. So maybe the question is, is why are you not reconciling? Well, be maybe it's be just because you have boundaries that mm -hmm. you know that he... His suffering, him bringing his suffering into your world creates more suffering for you. Mm. And thus the, the reconciling, me, meaning bringing him with, I, into your life, is going to create more suffering. And so there may not be a need to reconcile, reconcile but there is, for you, it seems like there's a need to, for, you still want to be able to forgive him. Sure. So in many ways that you, you can move on, I'm assuming. Yeah. You know what? Now, the way that you worded that made me think it's not about him suffering as much as I don't want him to bring, I don't want to bring him any closer to me. That's really what it's not about him suffering, Yeah. but I don't feel like, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like he deserves to have me in his life like maybe, I, and I don't want to be in his life. It's not about deserve deserving or not. Nicole, maybe the forgiving is a way to actually keep him at a distance mm. it, maybe it's not may, maybe right now you feel like he's at an unsafe dis distance and the in the actual forgiving is a way to create the the distance that you need so mm. that you don't suffer yeah maybe we have a question here from georgiana how can we learn to manage or eliminate our innate desire for closure Ooh, what's the magic answer there? <laughs> Nicole, what is it? How do we how do we not want closure? Oh my goodness. Yeah, a lot that's, of us it's I a hear million that dollar word. question. Again, right this there. is another area. What does closure mean for you or any listener that feels compelled to gain it? Yeah. We all could have a different meaning or sense of what that is. For some of us it's internal, right? We can figure out the closure, you know, for ourselves. Some of us want the participation of another person. Some of us want right. it to be an action. Again, so 
what does closure mean? Right. Um, whether or not it's an innate need. Um, I do think that this kind of the concept I think about a lot is like completion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's certain theorists that when we think and conceptualize trauma reactions um, and being stuck in trauma brain, trauma body. So essentially everything we spoke about, um, there's some theorists that conceptualize it as being incomplete. Mm-hmm. Right, is not allowing the whole trauma reaction to have run full circle to complete itself, if you will. Mm. So, I mean, I can make an argument that, yeah, there are certain, you know, acts of completion that might be innate, if you will, mm-hmm. to each of us as humans. Again, getting clear on what closure is and then how possible it mm. is. Because I know the difficult scenario, and I'm wondering if this is where the question is coming from, is when we can't have closure. That person is not in our life or possibly Mm -hmm. not even alive anymore. Obviously, Mm -hmm. those really complicated situations, especially in the context of us defining closure based on them or something active that they're participating in. And a lot of us don't have the privilege, I know, in these certain relationships to get that. So get clear, what does closure mean? You know, how possible is it to get it Mm-hmm. the way you want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's not, then our work is the internal work of modifying our expectation, acknowledging that maybe this person isn't physically around or in our lives anymore. Maybe emotionally, mm-hmm. consciously, they're not capable, right? This is sometimes where part of the healing journey. And I think it's challenging for a lot of us as we're starting to become conscious and do and think differently people around us are highlighted and their kind of consciousness level is highlighted so that's another expectation so now not only is is this person physically able for me to have that meeting of closure Mm. where are they on their life's journey and and are they kind of able to hold space and to give me or to to show up at that table kind Mm. of so to speak emotionally Mm. and unfortunately a lot of us have to modify those expectations that no maybe this isn't a human who can have the conversation you'd like to see happen to give you this closure now Mm -hmm. you know maybe sometime down the line so again we really want to get clear explore what closure means for us what are the expectations we're putting on this other person and if and when possible owning it ourselves. Mm. Are there ways I can gain closure without being reliant? I think this is the base of a lot of the work on someone, anyone, anything outside of me. Mm. We, we have an attachment to, to closure in many ways. Yeah. And, and we can either let go of that attachment in some way, right? Or we can also redefine what closure is. I think that's what you're alluding to here. If someone has died in, in in one sense, that is the ultimate type of closure, right? Because there's, there's, there's no farther relationship I can have with that person, at least here on this earth, um, once they've once they've passed on, right? And, although we may feel like, oh, I didn't get the closure I wanted, right? Well, that 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 has to do with the attachment side of things. I know that probably from some trauma that I've had in in the past, especially as a child, I, I'm a. It's led me to be a bit of a completionist, right? Like I feel <laughs> I feel as though. You know, I have OCD and I feel as though I, I, I need to do things to completion. Even, I mean, I was filling out my ballot. this. We're recording this the week before the uh, the election. I was filling out my ballot this weekend. Oh, yeah, me too. And it's the dumbest thing. It is. <laughs> uh, I'm voting for the Los Angeles 
community college school board. District seat number. <laughs> there's 33 people to choose from, right? Right. It's and, unbelievable. And, and there's 33 people to choose from. And I'm, it's up to me and your average citizen of Los Angeles County to determine which of these 33 people are appropriate to run the community college. How long did it take you to vote? Forever. Yeah. <laughs> it took, I timed it. Mariah and I took us three hours. I, because it was what, unbelievable. What I'm doing is I'm looking up each person and I'm realizing right. like, oh, I'm only doing this because I'm, I, I have trouble with like, uh, I hope I, because you're a completionist. Because I'm a completionist, <laughs> right? I should have. In fact, when I looked at those, I'm like, I'll just leave these blank and I'll finish the rest of this. And I did that. And then I'm like, well, look, it's almost complete. I yeah. need to come. No, Can't glare at that whole blank page. I couldn't do that. Yeah. And the, the truth is it's so inconsequential. I, it's by the way this is the best we're gonna have a, an election day episode recording later this week yeah best argument against democracy is, is, is the ballot that i have right oh, there man. thank god podcast sean is in here <laughs> and and so I, i'm saying all of this to say like many of the things that we do to be complete are so inconsequential mm. that we are wasting our time trying to complete something mm. but of course life is by definition incomplete right yeah. well because we're born complete uh and, and anything beyond that just is um yeah, we're it's ornamentation we yeah. and 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 so uh, Amen, we yeah. spend so much time trying to add to our life but many of these answers especially what, what nicole's talking about here is about subtraction in, in so many ways. Well, yeah. The question is, what would it give me? Right? What would mm. this imagined completion offer? And typically, you'll hear some version of peace, mm. the ability to move on. You know, that's what we're really looking for. And then my statement is always the same: is can we create a situation where we find that in absence of the person offering the completion or the thing? Yeah. And can we create that in our own self, regardless of what happens next outside of us? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it makes me think of me like biting my nails or I have like a long eyebrow hair or something. And I'm just like trying to, oh, if I bite my nail perfect, then that will uh, give me a more complete fingernail. And if I could just pluck that one hair, my eyebrow will look better. And it's like these little silly things we do. And then it leads into these bigger things in life. And yeah, we've got to ask ourselves, like, how much is it really going to give us? Um it's question, so, it might not be. It might be big, though, right? In that right. moment, it might yeah. be. Well, this okay. eyebrow hair makes you look me look like I'm not to be taken seriously. Right. For me, that might be the the chorus childhood wound. That time, right? I'm just using an example. Yeah, so, yeah. Because a lot of these things aren't as coincidental. We're not as we're not as mm. coincidental as we think as humans. The eyebrow hair bothers us for a particular reason. Right. I'm a manicurist as well. There's <laughs> very I've very much OCD tendencies, completion. So I'm very much relating to what you're saying and there's a deeper reason for me like what is it what is it that i'm concerned you'll see or think about me if you perceive it the way i am when yeah. the reality of it is it is really small because the person across from you doesn't see mm. but for you it's big so i just like to explain why understand why it's big right. so we don't minimize ourselves, and then we can make it the small thing that it is unattaching that meaning right. my eyebrow hair doesn't matter it doesn't make me any less credentialed right but if I operate as if it does, of course I'm going to be yeah. trimming my hair and every chance I get because this is my lifeline here. This is my business. And if I'm yeah. not you know, serious, if I'm not taking it, so it's deeper than that. We can understand what it is really about mm -hmm. and then make it the minimum. Allow us over time to keep it as the minimal small thing that it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Let's do one more question here from Joel. Okay. Um, from Joel? Mm-hmm. 
I don't think I. I feel mentally overwhelmed yeah, whenever I read the news. I don't have that one on here. So how can <laughs> I keep up with current events and still keep my sanity? Ooh. Mm-hmm. So I feel mentally overwhelmed whenever I read the news. That's one thing. I, we, we can set that aside. Whenever I read the news, I'm mentally overwhelmed. So, how can I keep up with current events and still keep my sanity? Well, so you want to keep your sanity. I think that's a, <laughs> uh, a, a worthy destination. Yeah. <laughs> worthy is the wrong word. But By let's, doing things that make you insane. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, my, my question for you is, when you say keep up with current events, mm. Joel, what do you mean by keep up with yeah. current events why would you want to keep up with current events and which current events do you want to keep up with mm. because there are current events happening right now in sri lanka are you keeping up with those events because and are they less valid than the events that are happening in saskatoon uh, are you keeping up with Saskatoon's current events? Mm. So, what do you mean by keep up with current events? Yeah, there's a lot of shoulds in this, don't you think, Nicole? Absolutely, and I think your line of questioning right now, Joshua, is really helpful, right? Because there might you might be able to get nice and defined. Yes, this particular area of events is important to me. I'm very concerned about making sure I know, and we can set a priority list. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us bleed out. We're not clear on what actually matters to us or why even it matters to us. And we do then engage with things to the point of overwhelm. Mm. So we can get clear. We can define for ourselves what's important about current events. Okay, yeah. what would be what, what would, would be the type of events then that I would be caring about if mm-hmm. this is my intention here. And why. Why. And then what could that look like? This is another area where I was like offering you, Ryan, what is the meaning? You know, because a lot of us believe we should keep in touch with things, again, based more on perception or concern mm. perception, not because it lights us up inside. Right. right. Find the things that light us up that are important for us and then set the priority. Mm-hmm. We live in a digital age. There is information every which way about every current event that's happening all over the world. Right. So we could create overwhelm and engage in it really quickly. Yeah. So getting clear and then if you are someone who's able to define, yes, this one area is really important to me. Here's my why. Here's the news that I'm very interested in in keeping my eyes on. And maybe here's my boundaries for myself. Mm. I want to spend this amount of time or I want to engage with this content in this way. Right, yeah. And then I want to have checkpoints. Mm-hmm. Because if I try to engage on a day where I'm maybe already feeling with limited resources or I'm already having stress in my world, maybe that's not the day that I want to go engage with something that's going to contribute further to my overwhelm. Mm-hmm. So we can totally. still be conscious and make choices and still be concerned and also navigate where we are in terms of our resources, especially when we're dealing, especially if the area that lights us up, the current event that we're interested in mm-hmm. is one that has a lot of emotions wrapped up yeah. in it. Not yeah. to say it's not a quote unquote worthy cause. We absolutely, those of us who want to pursue that will mm-hmm. get boundary and make sure that we're also, like I said, um, evaluating how much resources do I have? Because a lot of ourselves, we set ourselves up to fail Mm -hmm. when we're exhausted and we know that this thing that I'm very interested in and I'm very passionate about is important to me and we try to steamroll ourselves into dealing with it without having resources. Instead of saying, I'm really limited right now, I have a lot going on, I'm stressed out, I know that my engagement with this news media will stress me out a bit more. Mm -hmm. Can this wait till tomorrow or two days from now when I have my resources back? Mm. More often than not, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. And then I put a pin in it. I don't think about it and how I'm not doing it, of course, the whole time I'm not. And then I can engage with it when I have my resources 
available. If yeah. you feel compelled to engage if with it. If you feel compelled at that moment. Be- because mm. it could also be that as you've let it pass you by, you know, there's a reason we don't read the newspaper from three months ago, right? right. Because it now feels irrelevant to us. I think the thing to think about here is, and Ryan, you um, had a question on Patreon recently. Shout out to all of our patrons. Mm. Um, someone asked about you know, Ryan on the podcast, but we'll often say read more and get informed. But now he's also talking about how he's avoiding the news. Mm-hmm. And that person, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems to me that person is conflating two things. Right. Where read more and get informed does not also mean read all the news, seek out breaking news, seek out that which is immediate. Right. Read more and get informed is deeper than that. Yeah. Read more and get in, get informed is like well, what if I go back to 18th century uh, philosophy? Yeah. Well, what if I you know read Zen works from 2,500 years ago? Right. We're talking about a different type of information. Y- yeah, you see, seek out quality information. Right. The the news media is not quality information. The yeah. nu- the news is meant for one thing, to aggregate your eyeballs. Right. That's all they care about. So, uh, yeah, when I say read more, get informed, it has nothing to do with, with the media. I, talking about me and not looking at the news, so I used to go down this rabbit hole of like Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, BBC, Breitbart, like, cause, and I was telling myself like, well, I'm looking at all the news sources to like, you know, get a feel for what's actually going on in the center. <laughs> and really it just ended up being a distraction. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I stopped like a month ago looking at all news and i'll tell you there's something that happened yet this happened yesterday um i forget what the event was that i saw tweeted about and i was like oh i wonder what the news is saying about this specific subject Mm -hmm. so i went to all the typical news channels that i go to and not one of them had anything to say about this one particular Mm -hmm. topic i forget what the topic was but not only that um after I was done, I felt a little dirty because I was like, oh, dude, you like just gave in to like what you've been doing for like the last month. But also I couldn't tell you one of the things that I saw on one on those news sites yesterday. Yeah. Like it was not, uh, it was just very, very vapid. Um, but, you know, this makes me think because so there's one extreme and the other, right? There's like getting sucked in the Bermuda Triangle of news and then there's not doing anything at all. And Joel is asking for this middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, just some like practical things for Joel. If let's say he's in Florida and he's like worried about hurricanes because it's hurricane season still, right? Mm-hmm. Then just look at the Weather Channel. Like, limit yeah. yourself, set those boundaries up. Um, another thing I thought of too while we were discussing this was you could set up Google News alerts, and I might actually do this. Like, I, I'm trying to think of topics that like I really want to be informed about. Like, I don't know, environmental stuff or something, or, or minimalism, for example. Sure. I know you have like uh, alerts set up for minimalism and yeah. different things, but you can actually. F- create those boundaries with a tool like Google to help you yeah, get get uh, just specifically what you're interested and in. And adjust those boundaries over time because yeah. sometimes I notice I was getting too much or get bombarded yeah. or I might be in a place in my life where right now it doesn't make sense to have these external yeah. inputs. Yeah, I love what you did with the podcasts. How, because he, uh, yeah. he talked about how he got to this point where he just had, you know, 20 hours a day of podcasts (laughs) to listen to. And like, he realized like, Oh, I'm never going to get through all these podcasts. Even, uh, you can listen to it at twice the speed now. Yeah. It's insane. Sounds like a, like chipmunks talking, but I don't know how, but anyway, I highly recommend you listen to this at twice the speed. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) So 
So uh, even listening to it twice as fast, he's still not going to get... So he basically removed all of the podcasts that he was signed up for and like slowly adding them back on. But the same thing uh, can be with the news. It's like, and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm having this like news fast and it's freaking wonderful. I cannot tell you how much happier I am Mm. like not looking at the news. Well, because... And happiness was not the goal here. You weren't chasing happiness through it. Right. Um, I was chasing what I thought was information yeah, back then you were chasing, right. but the chasing was the problem. Yeah. And maybe we wrap up by talking about that. that we often we experience discontent because we're we're chasing something. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking when I was hearing you talk, Ryan. Because for a lot of us, especially with this endless digital age and distractions, the news being, and I, I understand this isn't me again saying that these issues that are coming to the surface and are being talked about in current events aren't incredibly important. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Though, what is the function of the seeking? Right? Can we can we really understand ourselves at that level? Because a lot of us are using news or just information consumption, in my opinion, as a distraction. Right? When I'm reading, when I'm learning, I'm not just sitting with myself mm-hmm. um, and I think that's a, a really big part of it is you know am I distracting from something something else I know I do and I know where to find it um, when I have an internal agitation like I was describing earlier when mm-hmm. I'm just you know my energy is higher I'm just feeling agitated inside because mm-hmm. my my body is sending that message to my mind something's wrong something's wrong mm-hmm. coming from a similar scan the environment what always something is a mantra in my family. So what is the something? Mm. I know exactly where to go online for me to show me what the something is. And for yes. me, it's the pages of criticism, people who don't like my theater, right? And I'll I'll dive right in. Mm. And I'll read people saying now negative things about me. So this is my little scab I pick, right? So now I'm uh, agitated. So now yeah. I'm thinking, how dare they think this about me, right? And right. now my mind and my body are in that familiar stress state. Yeah. So using myself as an example, not to say this is um, anyone listening or just what what is the news? What are you doing? Are mm. you in a state of agitation that's kind of looking to get that um, yeah. kind of, uh, coherence then? So now when I find the issue, now I can understand why I'm so agitated. Yeah, because this thing that's happening, not to say that it's not an absolutely quote unquote wrong thing that's happening, but how am I using it? Like yeah. I said, a lot of us are using it as distraction or to possibly keep ourselves stuck Mm-hmm. in those cycles. So mm. again, for me, it's that stress cycle. I know exactly where to find my stress hit online and I still watch myself do it. I evolve over time to consciously in that moment say, okay, Nicole, you're agitated. You want to go upset yourself over here. Yeah. What's something else you can do in this moment to <sighs> not get further stuck? Right. <laughs> Isn't that funny how anxiety, especially like when you don't have a reason why you're feeling anxious, it's like we start to look for a reason and it goes back to that completionist thing where it's like, well, I know there's something out there that's making me anxious. And then we start looking for that scab to pick and then we find it and it just makes it worse. God forbid my partner's in the room with me because then Mm. I'm very good at turning that always something into the actual issue now between Mm. us. And I didn't like what you did this morning. And it's like a lot of us do that a lot of the time. Yeah. (laughs) Nicole, I want to encourage folks to check out your forthcoming book. It's called How to Do the Work. Where else should we send folks? I know your your Instagram, you're very active there helping people out. Where else should we send people? Yeah, the Instagram is really great. It's my major hub for all of the community of self-healers, which now is international, mind-blowing, at the.holistic.psychologist. 
anyone who likes the YouTube video media, I put out short teaching videos every Sunday. So I do have a YouTube channel, The Holistic Psychologist as well. Um, but I'm always shouting out the Instagram community because I just, I, I put out content every day. Yes. So I'm there doing the work of healing, though the community is really amazing. We have, like I said, a lot of self-healers uh, understanding themselves, evolving and creating support and change. And it's really incredible. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here Thank today. Thank you very much. Thank you both for having me. Heck yeah. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. Thank you, patrons. The Minimalists. <laughs>